Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, a global biopharmaceutical company that is committed to bringing immuno-oncology to people living with earlier stages of cancer. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about the treatment of melanoma with Dr. Sarah Weiss. Dr. Weiss is an assistant professor of medicine and medical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. So, Sarah, maybe we can start off by talking a little bit about melanoma. How common is it? Uh, who gets it? And how lethal is it? Sure. Um, so, melanoma is uh, a skin cancer, but there's actually many different types of skin cancers. So, the most common types of skin cancer are squamous cell carcinoma or basal cell carcinoma. And those happen in millions of people um, each year. Um, melanoma happens in a far lower number. So in the United States in the past few years, the, the rates of new cases of melanoma probably occur in, you know, almost um, 100,000 people or a little bit less. Um, but the, the thing that's different about melanoma compared to other skin cancers is um, it, it can spread. And that's not the case in, uh, in cases of like basal cell or squamous cell carcinoma in, in most circumstances. So when someone gets a melanoma, um, we assess them and there's sort of a multidisciplinary team involved in the diagnosis and the treatment, but we assess them for, we assess these patients for their risk of melanoma coming back. Um, the majority of patients actually present with very early stage melanoma, meaning melanoma that's localized to, um, to the skin on a primary site and hasn't spread to other areas. Um, and they're only a small percentage of people actually present with melanoma that's at more advanced stages. So either spreading to the lymph nodes on presentation or spreading to distant sites. Um, but that's a large proportion of the patients that I see and that I treat. Um, so the, you know, the, the management and the initial evaluation of someone with melanoma involves many people, um, definitely a dermatologist, um, also a, um, <clears throat> a surgeon, um, and then depending on the case, a medical oncologist, which would be where I come in. So let's talk a little bit about um, taking one step back. What are the risk factors for getting melanoma? So are there particular types of people who are more prone to getting melanoma? How does family history play in? How does uh, other exposures play in? Yeah, so melanoma is most common, um, it, you know, most common in people with lighter skin, so Caucasian individuals, um, although it can occur in people um, of any race and of any skin color. It's just more common in people who have lighter skin color. Um, and it's because most melanomas, and I'm talking about cutaneous melanomas, um, are caused by uh, UV damage from sunlight. And so people, you know, we always take a history of um, people who have melanoma or who are at risk for melanoma of have they ever had sunburns in the past? Have they had blistering sunburns? Um, what is their history of sun exposure? Um, do they have a family history? 
um, have they ever had a biopsy taken before and have they had other skin cancers? Because once you have one type of skin cancer, you are at risk for other types of skin cancer. Um, in terms of family history, so the majority of melanomas are sporadic, meaning they come on um, and are not associated with a familial syndrome of uh, cancers, melanoma or otherwise. There is a small percentage of patients who have a familial um, predisposition to melanoma, and um, it's it's a little incompletely understood what you know which patients those are. But usually when we take a family history, we ask if anyone else in the family has had melanoma. We ask if that patient has had prior melanomas in the past. So someone with multiple primary melanomas um, could be at risk. Um, and we ask about other cancers in the family. There are certain cancers that um, might suggest that there's a familial syndrome. For example, some, some people who have a uh, uh, BRCA-associated cancers like breast or ovarian cancer, there can be an increased risk of melanoma in those patients. And so we take a family history, and if, you know, at least for um, for Jeanette, uh, thinking about family history, um, we look to see if there's any reason to refer these patients to a genetic counselor. And often, um, then the genetic counselor goes into a little more detail in terms of family history, ages, and you know what those cancers were. And if there's a feeling that there could potentially be an increased risk in the family for developing melanoma, you know, genetic testing would be done. Um, but usually the results of the genetic testing doesn't change whether or not someone's going to get melanoma or how we treat it. It just gives, gives the family a sense of if they should be screened more. But typically for anyone who's diagnosed with melanoma, I typically recommend that, um, you know, they and their first degree relatives all see a dermatologist routinely for skin cancer screening. So one of the things that you mentioned um, was that, you know, melanoma often is a, a disease that's uh, caused by uh, UV damage uh, caused from sunlight um, and that it, it, it is more common in fairer skinned people. So one question that, that often comes up and might be a curiosity for some of our listeners is for African-American uh, individuals or those with darker skin, do we actually benefit uh, from the use of sunscreen? Yeah, so I think... Um at times, that's probably been a controversial question. I think that um, so African-Americans can get melanoma. The melanomas that they tend to present with are actually melanomas that are in non-sunbearing areas or um, sorry, in that in areas that are not exposed to the sun. So there's something called acral melanoma, where you can get melanoma on your hands or your feet, which is areas where really the sun um, typically doesn't touch and you don't really have sun damage skin in those areas. Um, and so that the way that that melanoma forms is thought to be a different process than other types of cutaneous melanoma. And I think some of the biology of that is um, still poorly understood. Um, but those melanomas actually often get diagnosed at later stages because they're not recognized as much as cutaneous melanomas that occur um, in, in sun-exposed areas of the skin. Um, and those melanomas are also known to be more aggressive. And when we think about prognosis, um, we worry more that those patients have higher rates of recurrence. And in the metastatic setting, we worry that 
melanomas that originated in those areas are sometimes harder to treat with immunotherapy. And so that's, that's definitely a subtype of melanoma um, under active research, but that, you know, that melanoma does occur in Caucasians as well, but it does have a, an increased rate in people of, um, uh, you know, African descent and also can occur in, um, uh, in people who have um, darker skin, such as Asians and Hispanics as well. Yeah. So, um, but, but you would still recommend sunscreen to everybody. Is that right? I would, because I don't think it hurts. And I think um, protecting yourself and your skin from sun damage is a good preventative measure in general. Yeah. So one of the things that you mentioned that I want to pick up on is that you said that during your initial assessment, um, you you look for factors that may put people at increased risk of recurrence of their melanoma. So what are some of those factors? Yeah, so the, the most important factors um, are components of our staging system. And so we give each patient who presents with melanoma a stage, which ranges from one to four, one, two, three, or four. And that gives us a sense of, um, those components give us a sense of how likely the patient is to have a melanoma that recurs or a melanoma that comes back. So there's a few factors we look at. Um, one is, so initially a biopsy is done and the biopsy is done to get a diagnosis of melanoma. Um, after the biopsy is done, the standard of care would be to have an excision of that melanoma, so a wide excision of the primary melanoma, and then depending on the features of the primary melanoma, um, a sentinel lymph node biopsy is also often performed in the closest draining lymph node basin. And so based on the pathology results we get back, we look at a few factors. So one factor is how thick the melanoma was. So how deep is the, is the melanoma invading into the skin? And we measure that in millimeters. And so the thicker the tumor was, the higher the chance of the melanoma coming back. Um, another important feature of the primary melanoma is whether it has something called ulceration. Uh, which is a pathologic diagnosis. And for patients who have ulceration, um, they also get upstaged a bit, and we worry more that their chance of the melanoma coming back is higher. And then the third um, piece that we look at is whether or not the lymph nodes were involved. So, you know, I mentioned the sentinel node biopsy. If patients have positive sentinel nodes, so sentinel nodes that tested positive for melanoma, those patients are at even higher risk of the melanoma coming back. And so we take into account each of those features and we give the patient a stage. So a stage one melanoma would be a thin melanoma uh, without, you know, other high risk features and negative uh, lymph nodes. A stage two melanoma would be a melanoma that's thicker um, and um, potentially ulcerated and, um, uh, and that has a high chance of coming back. But even higher chance are patients who have stage three melanoma where the lymph nodes are positive. And so for all of those patients, um, we have a different approach to how we follow them. You know, they all should get monitored, but um, we have a different level of intensity to how we approach them. And then for the patients with stage three melanoma, 
We actually have um, strategies with medications that we can offer to try to reduce the risk of the melanoma coming back. And um, the, the last thing I'll say about that is when I say melanoma coming back, what I mean by that is there's really three areas where the melanoma can recur after a patient has had surgery. So um, the melanoma can come back at the primary site where the um, where the surgery was done. So for example, if a melanoma was taken off of your arm, um, in the scar site, patients have to be aware that if a new nodule or a lump or a bump pops up, that could be concerning for a melanoma recurrence. And then the melanoma can also come back in the regional lymph node area. Um, so if it was on the arm, then it would be under the under the right arm um, in the in the axilla. And then finally, melanoma can actually come back distantly in the body, and patients can develop metastatic disease, which is which is what we worry about. Um, and so we worry about all those things. And for patients who are at high risk of it coming back, we follow them closely with both exams and blood work and imaging. But unfortunately, we have limited tools to know which patients are going to recur and which aren't. Um, and so our main mode of doing surveillance on these people is really the, you know, the physical exams and the imaging. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that there are different types of melanoma, some that are more aggressive than others. Um, are the more aggressive types more likely to recur and recur distantly? So um, when I say different types of melanoma, uh, there are different. Um, so I think there's two different categories to that. The majority of patients present with cutaneous melanoma. So melanoma that starts on the skin. Um, and that's the vast majority of patients who come in with melanoma. There are other subtypes of melanoma uh, that occur in different anatomic sites other than um, the typical skin area. So one of them I mentioned is acromelanoma, which does occur on the skin, but we think it has a different biology because it occurs in areas that are not really touched by the sun, like on the palms of the hands and soles of the feet. And then there's other melanomas um, that can occur as a primary melanoma in other sites that often people are surprised to hear about. So one of those areas is in the mucosal linings of the body, and mucosal melanomas um, can occur um, anywhere along the sinuses, in the GI tract, um, in the vaginal area in women. And so um, while those are not common, those can be more aggressive um, than standard cutaneous melanomas. So when someone has a mucosal melanoma, um, we follow those patients, you know, very closely because they're at high risk of recurrence. And once they develop metastatic disease, there um, our standard therapies um, can work for those patients. They just um, don't tend to work as well as they do overall for the patients who have cutaneous melanoma. And then one other subtype of melanoma um, is called ocular melanoma, also called uveal melanoma, depending on the site it occurs. But it, it's a melanoma that starts in um, portions of the eye. And um, those that's also a completely different type of biology. And those um, Tumors, even when treated, when they occur locally in the eye, have very high rates of recurrence. And um, once they metastasize, we again treat them with the same standard therapies as we do for um, cutaneous melanoma, which would be 
immunotherapy, but um, the rates of response are lower. So those are like the overarching um, melanoma subtypes, and they all do have um, different clinical behavior. Um, but even within cutaneous melanoma, there are subtypes of those um, that do better than others. And that's still kind of incompletely understood, but there's a lot of research being done to try to identify markers that can help us predict um, both patient prognosis and also who will respond to, you know, which treatment we choose for them. So we're going to talk more about all of those treatments right after we take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about the treatment of melanoma with my guest, Dr. Sarah Weiss. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, working to change how cancer is treated with personalized medicine. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about colorectal cancer. When detected early, colorectal cancer is easily treated and highly curable. And as a result, it's recommended that men and women over the age of 50 have regular colonoscopies to screen for the disease. Tumor gene analysis has helped improve management of colorectal cancer by identifying the patients most likely to benefit from chemotherapy and newer targeted agents, resulting in more patient-specific treatments. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Sarah Weiss. We're talking about the care of patients with melanoma. And Sarah, right before the break, you were telling us about the different types of melanoma. So clearly many of us are familiar with cutaneous melanoma, but you were you were also talking about acral melanoma and ocular melanoma. Um, now, Tell us a little bit more about the treatment. Are, are all of these treated similarly um, or are the treatments different? So I think um, when someone presents now with melanoma, um, you know, there's been so much change in the treatment that we're giving patients and an expansion in options over the past five to 10 years. Um, and really, there's been a lot of improvement in outcomes for people with melanoma. So these days, while overall, um, our main um, mechanism of treating patients is with immunotherapy, you know, we really try to individualize patient care because some of these um, some of these uh, different subtypes can be treated also with targeted therapies. And um, there's a lot of multidisciplinary care also involving surgery and sometimes radiation in select cases. Um, and there's also a lot of opportunity for clinical trials. So um, we try to really individualize patient care, but I would say the the majority of patients, their upfront treatment that they're going to receive and really what the standard of care would be if they have metastatic disease is with um, immunotherapy. So let's talk a little bit more about that, because for many of our listeners, you know, the concept of immunotherapy, although we've discussed it on the show before, is still rather novel. For many people, they think about, you know, standard treatment for cancer being surgery, uh, maybe chemotherapy, maybe radiation therapy. Um, and while you did mention surgery in terms of being part of the diagnosis and staging of melanoma, um, it sounds like chemotherapy and radiation therapy 
are, are less um, prominent in terms of the management as immunotherapy. So can you talk a little bit about um, how immunotherapy really kind of got to have a central role in the management of melanoma and what exactly that role is? Sure. Um, so um, immunotherapy is actually, so I guess what I'll start with saying is that immunotherapy is an extremely broad term. And immunotherapy, just as you mentioned, it's um, it's a kind of systemic therapy. So it's a therapy that we use to treat the, the whole body rather than just one lesion as we would do with surgery. Um, and immunotherapy refers to basically trying to rev up your body's immune system to recognize cancer in the body. And immunotherapy is used in lots of different cancer these days. Um, but even back in the late 1800s, there was, there was um, uh, you know, knowledge that the immune system seems to play a role in recognition of cancer. Um, and so for a long, long time, there's been uh, research going on to try to understand how tumors and the immune system interact and how we can basically use the immune system um, and, and people's own natural defenses in their body to react against tumors. Um, and so there were a lot of clinical trials being done uh, using immune checkpoint inhibitors which are drugs that basically put the brakes on the negative regulation of the immune system. Um, so, you know, before, before the, I would say like, you know, going back and thinking about a timeline in terms of treatment of melanoma years ago in the seventies and eighties, there were, there was chemotherapy for melanoma, which, you know, had a little bit of response in some patients, but was overall, um, you know, not really improving survival. And then there were some types of immunotherapies like cytokine therapies, such as IL-2 or something called interferon that people may have heard of. But people were starting to make headway and research was progressing and immune checkpoint inhibitors were identified. And that's really the mainstay of treatment now in melanoma. And so in 2011, um, the first immune checkpoint inhibitor, something called ipilimumab, was FDA approved for treatment of melanoma. And this was the first immune checkpoint inhibitor that was um, ever FDA approved. And its first indication was in metastatic melanoma. And for the first time, we saw an improvement in overall survival with this drug. And patients who had metastatic melanoma who were treated with ipilimumab overall, um, like, you know, an estimate, I would say around 20% of patients who got this drug ended up um, surviving uh, for years and had long-term durable responses. And so that was really never seen before in metastatic cancers. And um, these drugs work, just worked so differently than any other drugs that we had had before. Um, very different than chemotherapy, like a totally different mechanism different than something we call targeted therapy. Um, and so immunotherapy really has very um, unique properties. Um, it doesn't act directly on the cancer cells or the melanoma cells. It acts on the immune cells um, or it acts on the immune system. And so by revving up the body's immune system and getting lymphocytes to traffic to where tumor is, that's been really a tremendous success uh, in melanoma. 
And as time has gone on, so over the past 10 years, um, we've had development of another immune checkpoint inhibitor called a PD-1 inhibitor, which some people may know in melanoma is called either pembrolizumab or nivolumab, um, basically two similar drugs just made by two different companies. And that has become the standard of care in treatment of patients with melanoma. So PD-1 inhibitors are really the backbone of, um, of treatment in uh, patients with melanoma. And um, in 2018, the a Nobel Prize in Medicine was awarded to the researchers um, who discovered these pathways and helped bring these drugs to into development and ultimately into approval and standard use across the world for, for patients with melanoma. So there's been a lot of success and a lot of progress um, over the past 10 years. And immune checkpoint inhibitors are now standard of care. They work in a certain percentage of patients, and um, but the the so it's really been wonderful. And there are people who've had long term durable responses in melanoma. People who've been able to come off treatment and who've been able to you know live their life and um, and who've done really really well. But there's also a lot of people, and I would say at least 50% of people um, who are treated with these in melanoma, at some point they either, um, sometimes they're resistant at the outset, and then um, sometimes they can become resistant to it after either initially responding or at least having stable disease on these drugs. So while there's a lot of optimism and a lot of success with the use of these drugs, there's still a lot of work to do in, in understanding how to manipulate the immune system to, to um, overcome this resistance. So, Sarah, um, you know, f- for the people who, uh, you know, don't respond to the uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors, um, what's the next step? I mean, what are their options? So there, there actually are still a lot of options for patients. And the thing we really try to um, prioritize are clinical trials because that gives our patients opportunities to um, to be exposed to drugs. And often there are immune-based um, mechanisms that can improve potentially, or we're studying to see if they can improve the response. And so clinical trials really are a priority, particularly in patients who have not responded to standard immunotherapy. In certain cases, there are patients who have mutations in their tumor. And in melanoma, one of the most common mutations is called a BRAF mutation. And so patients with specific BRAF mutations are also um, candidates for something called targeted therapy. And um, we use BRAF and MEK inhibitors in those patients, which are um, pills uh, for patients with this mutation. Um, Those responses do not tend to be durable in the way that immunotherapy is durable, although in select cases it can be. But most patients who are on BRAF or MEK inhibitors do develop uh, resistance to the drugs at some point while on therapy. And so our overarching goal for patients is to really try to find them a therapy that can be long-lasting. And I think um, most uh, or much research is focused on trying to develop immune-based approaches since there's so much success 
in, in getting patients to have long-term durable responses. So trying to get those lymphocytes to infiltrate the tumor if they're not. Um, and there's multiple approaches and combinations that are under study. But there's also approaches looking to combine different drug types like immunotherapies and targeted therapies or immunotherapies and cytokine therapies, um, immunotherapy and radiation um, immunotherapy and, you know, surgery in select cases. So that there's really a lot, uh, going on and moving forward and a lot of opportunities for patients to participate in trials. So maybe in, in our last 30 seconds, uh, Sarah, you know, when people think about immune therapy, especially now with COVID, many people are thinking about vaccines and are there cancer related vaccines in the melanoma space that might also rev up the immune system that are being evaluated? Where are we on that front? There are vaccines that are being evaluated. Um, historically, um, there's vaccines have been studied for a long time in melanoma, and um, there hasn't been significant uh, changes in outcome with the use of vaccines. But now there's a shift towards more of a personalized approach to developing vaccines, and um, vaccines are being studied in clinical trials, both in the adjuvant setting, so after someone has had surgery, and in the metastatic setting. So um, looking to see if these personalized approaches where the vaccines are generated um, based on tumor profiling, so based on the patient's individual tumor profile, um, are currently under study. Dr. Sarah Weiss is an assistant professor of medicine and medical oncology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.